When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So 50 basis points was apparently the magic number that the stock market wanted to hear yesterday. The minute Jay Powell said 75 points was not being considered, the market took off. Meet Kevin was playing his Buy the Dip theme song. He mentioned jumping into the TQQQ. That is the triple leveraged NASDAQ ETF that returns three times the gain of the QQQ. Of course, we all had a chance to sleep on it, and overnight we realized that 75 basis points wasn't something we are expecting anyway. So the market is doing its thing this morning, which is an important reminder that the triple QQQ also returns three times the losses when the market's down. There are a bunch of these leveraged ETFs these days, both regular and inverse leveraged on just about everything from the S&P to the bond market. The experts tend to agree that these are high risk, highly volatile investments that have no place in the typical investor's portfolio. There are all sorts of warnings about holding them overnight and how volatility is going to destroy your long-term returns. But a few economists disagree and say that using leverage, especially early in a young investor's lifetime, can actually reduce their risk. They say that that's because it actually diversifies the risk across time. They say they think about it this way. It, it would be really crazy if you were to only invest in the stock market for one year of your life because that could be a really bad year. And because most investors have way less money to invest while they're in their 20s than they do when they're in their 50s, they're missing out on diversifying across time. So today on Dumb Money, we're going to dive into that theory and show you some data that we found on how leveraging would have worked out backtesting all the way to 1885 to see if holding leveraged ETFs is crazy or actually a way to reduce risk over time. We are Dumb Money. Three friends who turn $30,000 into $30 million using nothing more than Twitter and a zero commission trading account. The suits that work on Wall Street, they call those people the smart money. That's not us. Our goal is to help level the playing field for everyday investors. We are Dumb Money. Hey there, Dave here, along with Chris and Jordan. We are Dumb Money. Welcome to Dumb Money Live. A quick fun fact that I think deserves a uh, smash to the like button. I mentioned data backtesting leverage. It compares two times, three times, and four times leverage and the effect of a typical ETF management fee on U.S. stocks all the way back to 1885, which seems to be a very important year in history because that is the year that Doc Brown helped Marty take a train ride back to the future. And it was also three years after the Dow Jones was founded and 11 years before they even published the Dow Jones Index, which was 12 companies at the time. So all of those fun facts together, I think a long way of saying that uh, I need you to hit the like button. Chris, Jordan. Yeah, uh, hit, hit the like button, Dave. We, we can't dive into this topic without kind of talking about the history of this topic within our little friend group here. So yes. a few years ago, Dave Dave came to us, and I, I think like I don't know, Dave was obsessed. Like he he would not stop talking about this for like weeks and weeks on end. And he basically came to us and said, "Hey, I've been doing research, and I this is Dave, and and, and <laughs> this is many years ago. I think the number one way to invest is through the triple leveraged. I don't know SPY or." 
QQ. I don't know what it yeah. was at the time. At the time, it was the uh, the S the the S and P five hundred, which I use UPRO as the uh, leveraged ETF there. Um, what did I tell you though? I said you're out of your freaking mind. You did. Like you said exactly else. what everybody says. Every yeah. economist, except you know this this has fascinated me in my entire life. Uh, and my just so for the record, my entire retirement account is in leveraged ETFs right now. Um, and so I do want to talk about, we saw this study from actual economists that said it might actually reduce risk, which that immediately got my attention. And this is not a new study. It's actually from a book that was published in 2010. The book is called uh, Lifestyle Investing, A New, Safe, and Audacious Way to Improve the Performance of Your Retirement. And back in 2010, leveraged ETFs weren't as common as they are today. So all of their research was based on using margin and they ran the numbers of 130 years of stock data. And they found that two times leverage reduced your lifetime risk by about 20%. And they say that it beats traditional strategies in every historical 45 year span, which is basically every working life. So who, who ended up being right? <laughs> okay, so, so Dave, let, let's just say this is a super, super controversial topic. Yes. It's a topic that very few people actually want to dig deep on. In fact, I read an article last night while preparing for this episode that blew my mind because this article essentially said that this was a way to essentially completely destroy your wealth. And, and you know, it was one of those articles, right? And, yeah. and I read the article. And nowhere in the article did it cite any data at all. It literally just used the theoretical concept of like I think they call it fee drift and turn drift. Of, of, yeah, yeah, and, and, and but, volatility but decay. List the data and, and and I've spent many hours preparing for today's episode. Look, and we found a, a, a bunch of studies. Some of them are old. I found an amazing Seeking Alpha article. I don't know. You can read the title of it if you recall, but um. It, it, and the comments in that Seeking Alpha article, I don't know when it was from, of people that have tried to do the deep dive research and actually recreate um, using using transaction cost, uh, going back, you know. Well, this they also one, look think, at the well, margin fees, right? So they look at, you know, what it would have cost to borrow on every single, like is, is granular. As this was not find. margin fee, not this art, not the Seeking Alpha right. article. It was, no, they I'm were talking mimicking. about this 2008 study by Yale, which is probably the land breaking. This is this is the de facto study um, yes. you need to look at if you're going to seriously consider doing something. Well, I think you also need to look at more like I, again the, what this the analysis that this recent article did. Not that I agree, really took more into accounted for uh, both the management fees and what they believe would be the internal <clears throat> transaction fees of the derivatives that are constantly being purchased, okay? And there's, by the way, you can go down a wormhole and spend years of your life on this this research yes. because there's so many factors to consider when you're trying to essentially determine if the fund could completely go bust and what it would take for the fund to go bust and what are the what is the statistical likelihood that at some point over your uh, investment horizon let's just say it's somewhere between 10 and 30 or 40 years for the, this use case what is the statistical risk that the the methodology would cause you to lose all of your money or most of your money at any point, or you have to lose all of it, like at any point during that time or towards the ending period to lose most of it because then it would yeah. be all, you know, kind of irrelevant. Well, and that's what that's but, what the authors of this 2010 book say. They say use more leverage 
early in your life and wean yourself off of leverage later so that you're basically spreading out a larger investment in the market for the entire life instead of starting low because when you're in your 20s you don't have any money to invest and when you're you know retired you have a lot of money to invest so try to front load some of your investments to take advantage of time. Well, they like it to investing in real estate too, right? Because you don't invest in real estate just by paying straight up cash for the value. You mm -hmm. leverage into any sort of investment like that. And so why wouldn't you just leverage into the stock market as well? It's just another, it's just yeah. another asset class. It's another yeah. factor exposure, right? But for some so reason, for some reason, leveraging into uh, equities has always had this kind of negative connotation. Like it's too risky to leverage into equities, but le leveraging into your house is okay. So also um, in, in alignment with this with this theory uh, or this strategy would be Nassim Taleb's, for those of y'all haven't read Black Swan, highly recommend reading Black Swan by Nassim Taleb, would be his equity barbell kind of thesis, which is that you should not invest in the middle, middle being kind of bonds and balanced, expensive types of uh, fee-driven assets that you instead should basically sink all of your money at the very ends, meaning the highest growth you can possibly get in the market, the most aggressive equity growth strategy on one end, and on the other end, essentially be in treasury bills, okay? So, and, and then everybody has their own kind of balance for 50-50, 90-10, something in between. Um, but this goes along with that if you wanted to use this theoretically, I guess, as the tool on the aggressive end, right? And what blew me away with that study, not yours, Jordan, but Dave's that he circulated to us yesterday, was that they actually did really amazing analyses on the perfect amount of leverage to get the maximum benefit uh, with a relatively low likelihood right of, of losing your money because if you put too much leverage in like forex leverage you're going to actually perform worse and have a chance i think it's even likely is it likely that you will literally lose all your money at forex but at 3x they could not find a time when you would lose your money entirely and over a long period of time i think the best the best graph i saw dave in that study was in modern markets 1950 to 2009 or 2010, whenever they ended it. In modern markets, I think you, by investing 3X leverage, you essentially double, you double your returns, right? Over the course of that period. And that's a really big period, 1950. Yeah. That's that right? top chart there. The S&P 500, 1950 through 2009, uh, you see the the one times leverage or zero leverage uh, is coming in between at about seven percent, and three uh, x leverage is at fourteen percent. Well, but four we x leverage isn't much worse either. Four, it's not 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 on that one. But you see some of these other ones like the Dow thirty uh, from nineteen twenty eight to two thousand nine goes negative if you went to four times leverage. But Dave, so, this you're not. But, but nineteen twenty eight isn't modern, fees? and that's what I think you're trying it, to say. Where, where is the dotted the dotted line that then factors that into a zero fee? I thought that was super cool because 
it, so you that's, might have that, to go this is the 1885 through uh, 2009, which is one. kind of ridiculous to down. even think about. You know what what was trading the 12 companies on the stock market back then. That's but this it. is right. the S and P 500, modern times, 1950 yeah. through 2009. The dotted line shows after fees, and the solid line is based on leverage from zero leverage across this bottom axis, zero leverage to four times leverage, and it maximizes there at three x leverage. But and even after is, fees, there's it's still higher than obviously higher than the one x leverage and higher than two x leverage as well. I mean, these are listen, guys. We to be very clear, we've just been analyzing studies, other people's research. It's a topic we've been fascinated with, Dave especially for years. Now I'm fascinated with because I blew him off. Uh, but I shouldn't have blown you off, Dave. I shouldn't have. And I think the fact that I blew well, you I, off. I think that you probably also know that I've been fascinated with, with the idea of the uh, double your money after every losing bet on a roulette wheel, which uh. I thought I invented, but I was doing some <laughs> research on that too. And that's actually a common betting system that was established in the 18th century France. Uh, it's a martingale betting system based on probabilities that you'll not lose money because flipping a coin you're only going to get hit tails a certain number of times okay yeah continue. by the way we will put a link dave will we not put a link to this study i'm going to put a link the, to uh, all of these studies in the description the one the one that okay. i just showed on the screen with those pretty charts and graphs uh the article from time magazine from 2009 that references the book uh a link to the book itself which i haven't read but the summary uh the summary is enough for me before we go and, further, and then also the the thirty page study, uh, a PDF that Jordan uh, that Jordan I'm sure has read. It's like I, want you I read about stuff. half of it. I, that's about all I could get through last night. Before oh. I okay, Jordan. Before you before you tell us your perspective on that particular study, I yeah. want to remind everyone we're not financial advisors, and by this episode especially is super controversial topic. We're we're listen. We're analyzing this just like you guys lot likely will who are watching this today um we're not saying to do any of this we just think it's a fascinating topic because if this data is correct if the data is correct like i can't imagine not taking a part of my portfolio going forward from this day especially where we are in the market today where as much as down and, 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 and down in the triple q how far down are oh, we in the t triple q dave uh, the T triple Q today. Let's pull up a stock chart here. So, do not take this as financial advice because it is absolutely not. We're, this is we're going through this research just like you guys are. Everyone needs to figure out, you know, their own decisions. So, from um, uh, that high yesterday to uh, the low today, that is oh, a fifteen percent today. We know that but overall from the tippy top. From the tippy tippy top. Yeah, let's uh, let's pull this back. Why is my date here? Let's pull it back here to a year. There's uh, the. Is that the tip? The, did that's I already draw top. that? Yeah. November. Okay. So, so that graph. Where you, uh, oh, there it is. It's um, fifty-eight percent down. Yes. Hurts donut. And yeah, I so will tell you, um, I, I, I will share with you my personal experience yeah. with this and uh, how theoretically I should have made a lot more money than I actually did. And this is something that I want to warn Chris about if he's actually considering doing this. Is really? you you can't get nervous. You can't freak out. And, and close this position. Also, I would highly recommend not doing it in a taxable account because you potentially have a huge tax bill. I, um, I'm doing it in my IRAs, and I actually took the pullback in the market as an opportunity to realize, oh, well, my, my account is worth a lot less now than it was six months ago. And so I converted, I did a backdoor Roth IRA conversion on that new lower amount that I'll be paying taxes on 
but now to a Roth IRA so that I won't pay taxes on it. Um, but just uh, just some quick math. The QQQ was up 138% from the 2020 low until that tippy-top tippy high. Uh, and three times that would have been 414% of the QQQ. That's pretty pretty insane. But the TQQQ was actually up 930%. So that, that volatility slippage that they talk about actually works the other way too. It works in your favor when it's going up. So instead of a 3X, a 3X would have been 414. It was 138, so 3X would have been 414, but it was actually up 930%. Uh, and then when the QQQ dropped 22%, the TQQQ didn't actually drop roughly when it dropped about 22%, it didn't drop 66, but it dropped only 58. So there's actually, you're, you're, you're not actually getting that, that slippage and volatility crush that, that I'm, I've been warned about in the examples that we've seen. I just put on a trade that is okay. Insane. Drum roll. I, I, I used to have a button I, I, called instant trade alert. Do, do you want to know <laughs> what, what I do? Do you want to know what I just did? Yes. Let's see if it works. Let's see if I'm just listening. I'm doing this for options? the community. Did you buy call options on the T triple key? <laughs> I just bought weekly call op. No, oh, two weeks out, two weeks out call options so do on the, the math on the amount of leverage in that <laughs> okay so um, actually no, no 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 jordan jordan i bought him on margin that's the best part so oh i God. just bought i just bought uh uh <laughs> on margin call options on the triple leverage t q q q uh, that makes me I, I, so nervous on so many levels for you but I know you can afford it. And that's why I think the continuation of that disclaimer you were giving is our risk tolerance is very different than yours. You are a gambling addict. You are a degen, as they say in the Web3 world. No, no. I, I will say, I, though, that I actually I used options on, I believe it was the uh, S, whatever the, the short version of the uh, UPRO is, the SPXU, I believe, uh, back in the 2020 days. And I found that actually just buying the SPXU, I think that's the, the was was more efficient than uh, the options on it, just because of the uh, the the premium there. Call options, by the way, these are call options, but it's not enough to where it's going to destroy me. I, I just I, I put it on because it's it, it's the last thing that anybody would ever consider doing right now. So let's do it and see how it works out. Yeah. Um, here, no, the, the the reality is here's why I did it. I, I did it because after doing all of my research on this particular strategy. Dave, I admit that it will never know for sure because there's always something, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know if the market's gonna react even worse than it has over the past 70 yeah. years, right? There could be something catastrophic, some tail risk in this that we're not factoring in. There's always tail risk with a triple leverage, right? Anything, but I do want to start to employ the strategy. However, I do not want to put a lot of money behind the strategy today because I do think there is tremendous tail risk in the market over the next few weeks and months. But I'm going to put the trade on through this option because the worst I'm going to lose, the most I'm going to lose on this option is $20,000. Okay. Yes. So the yeah, most you, I will lose. You've your losses. That's one of the, the upsides to using options is you have yes. limited your downside risk yeah. to but, all of but your money. If the market flips back here, um, even temporarily, like I want to get in on this trade. I'm just not prepared to get in quite on it yet. So it, listen, it, 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 it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a tactic. Okay. Um, but Jordan, what did your, what did your study say? Did it, it was more about, wasn't your study more about 
the way to really maximize this strategy is to continue to dollar cost average in no, over time. It, it basically so says the same thing, right? And so the the deal with it is that um, you know it's not looking at a situation like ours, but maybe a more typical situation where you're consistently putting in. Um, and it's the same thing. You want to leverage your money when you don't have a lot, right? And then yeah. you want to scale it back. And so I, I bet that these two studies kind of worked off of each other. This one's earlier, it's 2008. So I bet the 2010 study, you know, used this as a basis for some of the opinions that they have. It, it didn't go as far as like figuring out what level of, um, you know, leverage is the right level, but it, it basically came to the same conclusions. It did look at a, a few different strategies and the, you know, they said that basically you could, you know, the, the idea was that you could uh, retire about 10 to 15 years sooner by employing this strategy than you could by just uh, investing traditionally. Yeah, and, and we're it, not kidding. This is probably the world's largest, longest study on the matter, and it is dense and difficult to read. Yeah. And you know, but, so interestingly enough, I think, so there are two people that, uh, well, so Piton Gaines actually uh, quoted this study in a tweet that he put out in January, maybe. And I think this study is referenced in uh, a really good book, which is The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. His problem with things like this is that he can't does this. And I think that that's a big factor you've got to give yourself is can you actually employ this strategy when you're getting hammered like you would be, right? And yeah. so yeah, because Jordan, the, in the sleep in at 2000, night factor is big. In 2008, in 2008, when the market for a very short period of time was down, was it down 45%? Does that sound correct? I think 46, 45 to 50%. Yeah. What? 46, yeah, rough, yeah, so almost 50%. So you're in a triple leverage ETF and the market's down 50%. And by the way, I think most of us don't really understand how these triple leverage ETFs work because if you think about it, you might think that that means you go broke. But that's not what happened, right? So it's not the, the, the triple leverage ETF, even in a 50% drawdown, 46% drawdown, didn't lose all of its value in 2008. And at that point in time, I think it was down 70. Was it down 70%, Dave? Is that about right? I'm, I'm seeing uh, this is the SPY. It was down 54%. And I'll pull up. There you go. Well, I don't. Did we have a U Pro back then? Uh, I think they did the analysis. Yeah, they did the analyses it, as if it had existed that as long ago. As if it had existed. And I, yeah. I want to say, I believe they said it was down 70%. So here's the thing, guys. When you're down 70% in, in, in your portfolio, that is a really difficult thing to wrap your head around staying in. Because you're preparing that. You're like, I can't go broke, right? So you really can't do this with money that you absolutely 100% need to survive because you won't have the mental and psychological willpower to remain in the trade. But as we all know, historically, at least as a historical precedence in our lifetimes, anytime the market has had a massive major move like that, it has rebounded just as sharply, right? Yeah, just as sharply, absolutely. whether it's incitation or not. So th that would be the worst point to get out of that ETF because that ETF explodes back on the upside, right? And the reason why I'm interested, there's like two reasons. There's two reasons why I'm interested in Dave's strategy of this triple leverage concept. The first reason is I believe that the government has shown us over the pandemic that they are willing to step up in kind of worst case scenarios, even to the point of buying equities, okay? Which is what we saw during the Trump administration. So that leads me to believe if I'm going to have that type of backstop, which is the number one concern with a triple leverage ETF, that adds a layer of comfort. 
the second thing is a bit more broad-based kind of thesis over the next few decades. But I, we talked about this in the show many times. I do believe that the next two decades will be the decades of automation, robotics, and artificial intelligence. Uh, I believe it will be equivalent and decentralization, maybe. But I think it will be the equivalent uh, to the Internet Revolution and before that, the Industrial Revolution. I think we just can't see it right now because we've been working on the technology for so long, investing in it so long, but we haven't really seen the fruits of all that labor yet. I think it's coming. I don't know when, but the next couple decades. Yeah. I think the beneficiary of that, the beneficiary of that, is enterprise. It's enterprise. And what that means is that we'll see the fruits of that come out in the equity markets. I just don't know how soon and when it's going to happen. So if I believe that, I believe that the markets generally over the next 20 to 25 years will probably see something similar to what we saw the last 25 years, uh, if not even better. And that, if I'm correct at least, if I'm correct, with some major drawdowns, of course, that would lead me to believe that the best, this is a great strategy, right? Because yeah. like- so it, Let's talk about those drawdowns in a second, but um, I do also want to remind everyone to subscribe because we will be doing a full episode on the best ways to invest in the thesis of robotics and automation taking over the world and what that means for the stock market. So we are going to do that episode. Subscribe if and you AI. haven't already. And AI. Yeah. And AI. The whole, the whole you know, replacing humans doing things with uh, machines and computers doing now, I do want to share my personal uh, experience with drawdowns and UPRO uh, stock. I started doing this back in uh, summer of 2019. Chris, you'll probably remember. And yep. in a little over six months, I was up 30%, which I'm like, boom, this is amazing. Even with these drawdowns, it's amazing. We're going to keep moving through time. This line here is where I happen to uh, tr move from one broker to another. And so that's where my record keeping is. It, it makes it very difficult to keep track of this when you've moved your account from one to the other. But you see it kept going up, kept going up, kept going up until uh, <laughs> COVID hit. And you see this dramatic drop off. And that red line is where I got nervous and I unplugged the money printer, right? Oh, and Dave! <laughs> I unplugged. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna let it recover. And then this green line is when I got back in. So, um, you know, I actually, you know, got out high, bought low. That seems good so far, yeah. but the market Very keeps big. going and I got nervous again and got out. After you see that day- Why would just, you get out there, Dave? Dave? Do you see that Do you see that dip? It doesn't really look big on this uh, chart, but it's like it a day like today where, they, where they're saying, it's the worst day since 20, yeah. since, um, I, 1987 or something, right? And I just freaked out and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna stay out of this strategy uh, for a little bit because we're in, unpre we kept hearing the word unprecedented and I hadn't heard the word that many times in my life. CNBC so I just, I just got out. CNBC, CNBC ruined this for me. So let's just watch what happened. I got out and okay, it went up and then down and then up. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should get back in. Maybe I should get back in. Well, it just keeps going up. But this is summer and you know how I'm on vacation and not really paying attention to the markets, sell in May and go away. So um, this next line is where I finally said, okay, it's late August, I'm getting back in. But I didn't get back into the UPRO, so I can't continue it on this chart. That's when I bought TQQQ. But you know that it outperformed this uh, the S&P uh, over this time frame, But you can see that even right after I got in, it immediately goes down. It does every time, right? <laughs> TQQQ even more exaggerated. Up and then down and then up and then down. So basically kind of break even from August through November. 
And I stayed in, I stayed in, and it just uh, kept going up and up and up. But then, you know, what goes up must come crashing down, which uh, the TQQQ <laughs> went down faster and harder, as we all know, than the S&P. So that is how I took a perfect strategy that had I not done anything, I would have made good money. I would have had, had just insane returns. Um, just... It, just for rough math, if you had put $10,000 into the TQQQ uh, on January 1st, 2020, before anyone had heard of COVID, and you just left it in, COVID would have knocked that 10 grand down to four grand. Uh, but if you had, you had held on and not did what I did, you didn't paper hands, uh, while the money printer was buzzing, you would have turned the 10, you got that four grand back to 10 grand by June, and then it's all time high, it would have been worth $30,000. Of course, if you kept holding now, that 30 would be worth 18, but 18 is still, you know, that's what a 80% uh, gain in less than two and a half years, even through this crazy turmoil up until today with today's recent pullback, 80% two and a half years. Dave, what, what, what a roller coaster. You know, I think that what makes people risk about this strategy, just investing in the market right now is we have become brainwashed uh, by macroeconomic trade thesis that everything is about the money printer, right? Because that's all, a lot of new investors, especially have, that's all we've heard about since, since, you know, the pandemic is it's, and because it's been the biggest storyline, we print more money than we have in history. And that's what led to this insane bubble. And now the bubbles burst and now we can't print any more money. Now we're taking off. So now we're going to get equally screwed. And all that is totally true, but there is something that does exist behind the money printer, right? And people don't understand that before that was a reality, before when that used to just be a blip on the radar, like tiny bits of money printing, right? Every once in a while, like there were actual times where massive innovation uh, exploded valuations of all the world's industries, right? Called it the one that happened in our lifetime, at least, because we were, we were, you know, in our 20s was the internet revolution. And before the internet re revolution, it was the technology revolution, right? And, you know, we weren't really around in the industrial revolution, but that's what it was then. Uh, again, I firmly believe that at some point in time, I don't know when, we will get back to fundamentals, right? And the truth is innovation drives everything. Productivity, market efficiency, it drives everything, right? And like, I do have faith that we're making the right investments now that this money isn't completely going to waste you know what i'm saying like there are there's uh, where did most of the money go it's nobody talking about the fact that most of the money now a lot of it's gone to junk of course but a lot of it has also gone into enterprise innovation startups ventures most of it's wasted most of it's wasted but so much cool stuff is happening and like we're seeing stuff behind the scenes as early stage investors that is simply mind blowing, like simply mind blowing. And especially with artificial intelligence, I can't stop thinking about companies that are employing tens and tens and tens of thousands of employees to basically just do administrative work. And Jordan and I are investing in an old employee of ours. I won't give out what they're doing exactly because I don't want to give that away, but they basically are using artificial intelligence to, in some cases, reduce what could hundreds of thousands of employees from certain industry sectors by removing all of that administrative work. And like, it's my, and that's just one little or tiny startup. just reducing startup. it and making it, it less mundane and uh, reducing the amount of time these people have to spend, but it makes it more efficient. So it's great. 
yeah, it, it, it makes it more efficient. And that's where value is created. But the only value that's created in that little cycle is not for individuals unless you're invested in in assets that are participating, either be, that are benefiting directly, but either the company that's developing it or all the many companies and sectors that are benefiting from that technology, benefiting from that artificial intelligence. I just went to Dave & Buster's yesterday, guys, first time post-pandemic with my kids. We surprised them after school, right? And I walked in, and you know, Jordan, you've probably been to Dave & Buster's in the last few of your kids, right? They have that big booth when you walk in, no? I don't go to Dave like, & Buster's, are you kidding me? <laughs> Pre-pandemic, okay. Our, my kids love it, dude. So we walk in, they have that huge, like front counter where they have three employees that are selling you the cards and swiping your credit cards and then giving you a receipt and putting money on your cards. They just took it away. It's gone. Now you just walk in and walk into the game area and you find a kiosk and it's all computerized. Nothing crazy, nothing special. We're seeing this at McDonald's. We're seeing it everywhere. We know that when we order food at McDonald's now, sometimes the person speaking to us is in another state. Okay. Eventually, I have news for you. It's not going to be a person. It's going to be artificial intelligence speaking to, assuming that we even still allow you to speak in, right? But like, if you are speaking to it, it'll be artificial intelligence speaking back to you, assume, you know, verifying your order, right? And no employees doing that. This is happening in every industry sector, and we're just scratching the surface. In fact, teaser for next week, we have a high conviction trade episode coming next week i teased it in my tweet so go to at chris camilla yeah. on twitter if you want to see the image of where i was when i was in the process of researching this high conviction so and it has to do with innovation quite simply hmm. but if you don't believe in that if you to don't me, believe... it looked like you were researching equipment for opening a new quiznos <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but if... if, if <laughs> and what is that face? I, I, that's what I wanted to ask you, is what is going on here? I, is that, I, your, I is that your YouTube thumbnail face? Are you sure not just creeping on that young lady that's behind you? That's I, Brenna! That's, that's our events manager <laughs> at our restaurant. No, she, she's, she's one of the managers at uh, Chelsea uh, in the background. So that gives you a little bit of a hint as to, as to what we were and what we were doing. But if you don't believe in that, what I just said, then this might not be, you might not want to be levered. You might not even want to be in the equity market, right? But yeah, same I love, thing. I mean, I if you, this. yeah, you, you've, this is, this is a super high risk thing and I, I can't bring myself to do it in my normal account, but I think of my retirement account as like, if, if all else fails, I might need that money, but I don't really plan to need that money. And so let me just try to go crazy, get as much return as I can on it and not pay taxes. By the way, so uh, that I can, people like, are saying this all leads to UBI. I, I want to do an entire episode on UBI, so it's kind of political. I think UBI, universal income, uh, basic income, whatever it's... I think it's inevitability. I, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's the right thing to do or not, yeah. I'm not even getting in that political conversation. I'm just saying UBI is a matter of when, not if. I am confident. And I agree I agree with you on not on so, whether we need it or not, but just that that's the direction. It may be during our lifetimes. It may be in the next 100 years, in the next 200. It, it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. 
Oh, oh, by the way, well, I want to say this. We're not fighting the Fed here. By the way, I'm not I'm not putting this strategy on yet, guys. I literally dabbled with a little option today just in case. But I we are doing the research now because this is a strategy we think we want to employ. I want to employ it at some point in the near to mid kind of uh, future, right? Like in the next few weeks to many, many months down the road. I'm not ready to employ it yet. In fact, I my my entire portfolio is hedge, partially hedge with with a short interest on the spy and the QQQ right now, right? So I'm not saying that I want to fight the Fed. I'm just saying at some point, at some point, and it's very hard to pick the bottom, as we all know, very hard. I'm Impossible. usually a little late to pick the bottom, but I'd rather be you know just a little late, but still not you know I, at some point you got to pick the bottom and not be afraid it could go lower, right? I like the strategy, man, and I'm gonna I'm going to employ it. I'm gonna do it, Dave. I'm so pumped about this because I mean, look how high we are still, right? Look, look how we're high so we are. high. Yeah, and th we're this so goes high. back to 1994, so you can see how big those other dips were, and that's that's just on a normal scale. If we put it on a log scale, you can see we're not that. Uh, it's that, it seems so painful, like seeing my portfolio balance every day just makes me want to like crawl under a rock but and never look at my portfolio again which is probably the best thing i could do but um yeah we don't know the damage yet from the money print cycle we still don't know how deep the pop is to be like we don't know we, we, nobody really knows but i think guys the worst thing about this is that we have multiple things happening at the same time this is not all about inflation it's about a combination of inflation plus massive supply chain issues happening at the same exact time, right? So like if we can kind of imagine a scenario where the inflationary fear, because it's all fear, right? If it just starts to level off at some point in the next year, let's just say. And then imagine at that same period of time, supply chain starts to get just a little bit better. I'm not saying it's going to get it's going to be perfect like it's going back to where it was 3 years ago. I'm just saying what if these things start to level off? We know the market looks forward. Um I also think election cycle as scary as the election cycle is for everyone because there's uncertainty. I feel that that election cycle coming up in 20 early 24, I know it's a little bit away, is going to force this administration to be friendlier when it comes to the Fed and the market because they can't have a down market that year. I, I, we wouldn't be saying this 12 years ago because politics didn't care that much about it, right? Now, politics just plays, this plays into everything. So we know how, we know what's gonna happen, right? The political landscape is going to cater to the market because they can't have a bad economic cycle going into election year. So I think that plays into Fed policy. I think supply chain has to get better. How can it get worse than right now? I don't. It can't possibly get worse than right now, right? Yeah. China still shut down due to the pandemic. It's crazy. At some point, they're going to reopen up because they need to. They want to, and they need to. And by the way, don't you think we're ha we have great antivirals? We have all that. We know all the stuff. Unless we have some weird uh, strain that comes out of nowhere that's like completely, you know, non-stoppable with yeah. all the tools that we have in our toolkit now. How do we not get better with supply chain? So, Chris, let's talk about this, the idea of when when to even consider getting into a leveraged ETF position. Because right now, 
do you, we can't pick the bottom. Should I should I get on the sidelines again and not be in my triple levers position? Because we know I got burned the last time I did that, but it seems like we might have more down days than up days, and that is the thing that over time deteriorates your uh, your capital in this type of a investing scheme, and that's really what it is. It's a scheme. Oh, by the way, yeah, thanks, Parrot Trader. European War. Forgot about that one, man. Like, like this is bad. The, the, the macro is bad. And it's so bad, right? Uh, Dave, I don't know. I think, what if you don't have to choose? What if you just dollar cost average in over time? I know you're already in it, so it's a harder decision for you. But for people like me, yeah. what if I just kind of slowly, over the next six months, just kind of put a little bit from my unlevered portfolio or negatively levered portfolio into this. And as I come out of that, you know, I'm so leveraged all the time anyway in a long market, it almost doesn't matter for someone like me. But for yeah. someone that for someone that's that wants to do this, I would say I don't know, maybe it's a mental Not thing, someone right? me. Like what should my, I do? <laughs> I don't know I don't know what you should do. I don't know. I just think this is worthy of conversation. And if there are smart people watching today, look, read these studies and spend some time on it for yourself because it's not about a decision that you make this year. This is a multi-decade decision. This is the type of thing that if the data is correct and you employ this strategy, if the data is correct, and if you don't have an, a black swan scenario that is something that looks to be materially worse than we've seen in the last 72 years, right? In that scenario, it appears to me at least, like this could be a game-changing decision to be in something like this because it could, it will, it would theoretically double your annual returns. Oh my God, that's or triple, triple. No, no, no. The data, no. The triple leverage says the data will double, not trip because because of the, both the fees, the transaction cost, all yeah. the negative stuff. So you you gotta you gotta be in the triple, I guess. You have to be in the, the triple to years. get closer to a double. To a after double, but Dave, a the compounding double? effects of all of a the a double after fee. That's you know how insane that is. Doubling a market that historically just goes up. We have big down pulls, you know, big pullbacks. But over time, over any forty-five year, this is what that one study said. Over any forty-five year period, being two x leverage is comes out ahead of being just a traditional investor. It's worthy of conversation. It's worthy of research. It's word worthy of people's time to yeah. look at it, consider it, debate so, it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. As soon as this is done, we're gonna. Uh, I'll link that in the description. You guys go to the comments of this video just to give us your thoughts. I'm, I'm very curious as to what everyone's thought because this is one of those things where it's it, opinion matters because there's no right answer. Yeah, and I'm sure someone there, will have no, the right answer. But yeah, I, Dave, I think there's no right answer, but. There is a lot of research, if you're willing to read through it, and the research seems pretty good to me. I mean, I know people are trying to poke holes in it, but I don't. I haven't seen anyone be able to poke a hole in it yet. And it really is insane that the media is talking about this stuff, just uneducated. Like, it's crazy. And, and that's where the opportunity is, because if everybody were doing it, I don't know, like, would it... Weird to me. This well, that's why you shouldn't really real. take advice from the yeah. right? Uh, but so, even, of course not, Jordan. Because they're not, Absolutely I mean, not. they're just trying to get clicks and views and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so if somebody's somebody's advertising clicks and views, you can listen to what they're saying, but they're not, they're not the ones to take advice from. 
I uh, man, I oh, but timeline matters, of course. I think uh, Talon Gates, great point. Now we, we've heard of the uh, the inverse Kramer index. Is there a uh, triple leveraged inverse Kramer index that we could find? Yes, I think um, for me, I'd like to believe I'm still on a thirty plus. Year. I hope I'm trying to be healthy with my life. I like to believe I'm still in a 30 plus year time horizon for my investments, so I can strongly consider something like this. So, and I am, I am. And if I ever get lazy and I'm not willing to stock pick anymore, but I still am greedy and I want outsized returns, like I think, I feel like that's you, Dave, sometimes. That was my argument all along. Like you spend so much time and effort researching and trying to find and winning on some and losing on others. And you're, you're net net. You paid a lot of taxes on the winners. You like, wouldn't it just be easier to put it on auto autopilot and we know that historically the S&P does 10-ish percent on average over long periods of time. What, could, could we just do 30 and 20, call it a day? 20, Dave. 20, well, so John 20. McCravey or more. research is likely done during a bull market. We're likely in a bear market right now. So the, so the paper that I've got, I think they, they went back into like the 1860s. And even though these products didn't exist, you know, they estimate what it would have been like and what the borrowing rates were and all of those things. Um, and so they, it's, it's, over a, it's over a span of, you know, a really long time, over 100 years. Yeah, is, and, is and I think that those out? results are a little less relevant than more modern times. Because it's tough, right? It's tough. Since, 19, since the 1929 era, right, we've had a very different looking market. We've had a different... Fed. We've had, you know, the, the 50s on, or a lot of these, a lot of the studies I was reading were based on 50s through 2009. I haven't really found anyone talking about this since about 2010, which but, is yeah. interesting. But Dave, that study that ended in 2009 was interesting. Like you got the 2008 in there, which is super important, right? Like yeah. super important. Without getting 2008 in there, yeah. it's kind of worthless, right? So 2008 was a big deal. Big, big, big deal. And by the way, there's I'll remind everyone, there is black swan tail risk in in the market, even with governments trying to support things. We have no idea what is going to happen in the next 30 years. We could have a 70% market drop issue. And I think, I want to say at 70%, this thing completely pummeled and could be at risk. That's in but again, the, you're, not, but putting, you're again, not putting a portion of your net worth that you would not gamble with. You're, you're doing yeah, but this Dave, also, with your highest I saw risk that portion of your portfolio. In the comments of the Seeking Alpha article, I, I recommend everyone Seeking Alpha article and then look in the comments. Because the comments, there was a guy that did a bunch of research, and there was a debate going back and forth. And he claimed that he did the math, and because of the way the derivatives work, in a in a short, very short-lived 70% draw, uh, 70% market crash, that this only lost seventy four percent. He said it was very weird to me. I didn't understand, or maybe, or maybe it was. I don't understand how that's possible. But he did the math, and there was some debate around it. Smarter people than me should look into this. But I like the risk reward. I do like the I do like the risk reward based on the data for someone that doesn't want to spend a tremendous amount of time stock picking. Now I'll probably be the guy that's going to just stock pick forever, and then I'll lever in on those stock picks. So. You know, I, I probably won't. This probably won't be a big part of my portfolio, but I kind of want to do it as a social or an economic experiment. I just, I just want to have it. That's what I thought. If it has, play with my, play with my uh, retirement accounts because that is, I'm, I'm really hoping that I don't need my retirement accounts. Yeah. 
Um, so I haven't spoken to you two guys yet. I want to tease something for next week. I'm trying to coordinate this for next week. Uh, but we're going to do a dumb money Twitter Spaces, assuming that you guys are available next week. That will be in uh, Disney until uh, Wednesday. The, a guy who basically is the grandfather of venture capital. And I sat in on a Zoom, a private Zoom session. This person started one of the very first venture capital funds, I don't know, 70 years ago, that grew into a $60 billion fund. I won't give out his name now. Maybe I will. Uh, uh, Alan Patrickall. Uh And he, I have never been so blown away uh, by an individual. And I was just like, we got to get this guy either on the show or on Twitter Spaces. I think Twitter Spaces might be the right place rather than having him on the show. But if you want to have him on the show, we can do that too. Fascinating story. He is in his 80s. He's in his 80s, and he works harder than any of us still. He just opened up a new a new fund, right? His third fund, raised $50 million for it. And his fund is focused on publicly traded companies that are, that are focused on, I forget what he calls it, basically this generation of older people, like really older, like age 60 plus. And that's all they invest in. And he has a really strong thesis around it. And dude, I'm telling you, the stories he can tell you, I think a lot of our community uh, has an interest in the other half of what we do, but we don't really talk about it on Dumb Money Live because we're focused on public markets. And that's why there would be a better Twitter spaces than a YouTube yeah. show. But follow the Dumb Money Live Twitter account. This is not, is it Dumb Money TV? It's, it's Dumb Money TV. Dumb Money TV. There's yeah. a fake account that has a dot in there. Don't follow that yeah. one. Because... I promise you guys. Go to dumbmoney.tv, a- the internet website, dumbmoney.tv, to find all of our actual socials because there are a lot of spoofers out there trying to rip people. He just wrote a book in his 80s called No Red Lights, and that's what he kind of, you know, searched for. But we'll, we'll do that Twitter spaces next week. Um, that sounds good. I also need to remind every single person watching right now that I know that two-thirds of you have not hit the like button. I'm able to do that math in real time. So... <laughs> Come on, everybody. Let's let's hit the like button. Let's you can leverage a big flurry like of likes. Leverage it 3x. 3X can, we, can we, can we, yeah, well, let's leverage that thumbs up. All right. Everything else good? You sound, you seem like you're having some difficulties there, Chris. He's, he's just falling apart. Classic. Well, he can't hear you right now because his earpiece is. He can't get it to work either. All right. That's going to do it for this one. We are Dumb Money. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>